There are many in America who believe neither in a hell nor in a heaven, but in Germany there are not so many of these persons found. I, Homan, ask, who can immediately banish the wheel or mortification? I reply, and I, Homan, say, all this is done by the Lord. Therefore a hell and a heaven must exist, and I think very little of anyone who dares deny it. John George Homan. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Kuntz to talk about paints and magic and American folkways. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, doing fine. Uh, this is a fun episode. Um, probably going to come out a little bit after uh, Halloween, but you know what? Still fall, still crisp, still spooky. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, the whole season I find uh, spooky and... Uh... November first and second agree with that. So yeah, absolutely. So we'll together. we'll see when this will uh, when this will air. But we have Word Fitly's only two Appalachian Americans uh, <laughs> to talk about American folklore. So that's that's oddly appropriate. We've our blood has been here uh, long enough to establish a long memory. We may, uh, in fact, really be the only two on the clergy roster. Let's be honest. So. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Well, that does we. Our presence alone may well help uh, alleviate uh, certain opponents who only believe in the Ellis Island fraternity. So, <laughs> our parents were here for a different reason. <laughs> so, and extremely based. So, anyway, well, we've we've actually talked about this episode for a long time. So, Adam, yeah. tell the folks at home a little bit about what we're going to talk about. Well, we're going to look at the folklore, but especially the sort of combination superstitious as well as religious folklore of America traditionally. And that's partly because of the season, partly because of just personal interest, and partly too, because I find that these are things that people talk about and think about, maybe not constantly, but quite a bit, but they go relatively undiscussed in the church. Um, Folk beliefs, which seemingly every people have, a lot of people have acquired them, I think, probably mainly from ghost hunting shows at this point. But at least traditionally, every people group has these kinds of things. But it's something that I don't find us talking about much. So it might be interesting to consider. Yeah. You know, folklore uh, is important to a people. Every people is going to have that. Uh, we just happen to be Americans. And we are going to talk about a particular or a couple of particular folk ways. Yeah. Just because, hey, it's it's what's interesting to us. Uh, for some listeners, this might some of this might be familiar. You might have actually heard some of it, say, in your grandparents' day. Uh, there are modern practitioners of some of the stuff we're going to talk about, or at least modern adherents. We'll put it that way. In the case of superstition, yeah, but they are fewer and farther between. Uh, we're going to talk about subjects uh, broadly. I mean, from from ghosts to uh, boogers and other things like that all the way uh, to healing and folk healing. And is it even appropriate for the Christian and kind of a, a Christian understanding of this? And I think to begin the discussion then on these particular American folkways, I think we have to say that at their heart, although some would bristle at this, they are Christian to some degree. They are informed by Christianity. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that one of the differences here is that you have certain populations that come to the United States, whether it's Appalachia or 
colonial New England or wherever it might be, prior to anything really resembling, quote, the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And that has a tremendous effect on the Enlightenment has a tremendous effect on the popularity and the openness with which traditional forms of, say, healing or what would now be thought of as something sort of like naturopathy uh, are practiced all the way to what people say about why things are going wrong in their lives. And because so many members of, especially the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, any kind of 19th or later century immigrants post-date that shift in people's thinking, that shift in what's plausible or allowable in reality, it can be a little hard to understand these earlier traditions, which are going to be very productive even down to the present day in things like, you know, H.P. Lovecraft writing horror stories because they have an older memory of different ways of conceiving of what's possible in reality and and what's, you know, what could be, especially what could go wrong. And folkways and folklore often preserve those older cultural memories. So usually the farther east you are in the United States, mm-hmm. the more of this you're going to find. Right. And for many of our listeners, everything is out east in their orientation. Right. Including like Indiana. But yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 13 colonies, let's say. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's important to study American folklore because it's going to inform us about who we are as a people. And it's going to inform you about your ancestors, which are very important. Um, we've lost a a shared mythology. And I think sometimes we think of mythology only in terms of kind of the overarching uh, history of things. Mm-hmm. But encompassed in that are all of the local remedies and an understanding of how the world works on an individual level, yeah. at a local level, and what that's going to look like. It's been replaced largely by, I don't know, Marvel and Disney <laughs> yeah. and other, and other right. things. Right. I mean, and you're right. It begins with the Enlightenment where this naturalistic worldview overtakes it. But people looking for something, and I use this term loosely for what I'm about to say, looking for something deeper. And so they find mm-hmm. Iron Man or something like that. <laughs> Not that, the, and, and I'm sorry, I just don't, I can't see deep in, in most of these things. Uh, people, yeah. they're, they're popcorn movies, they're fine, but... For many people, I know that it's replaced that because if you look at our popular discourse today, people will appeal to certain things by comparing their opponents to certain fictional characters right? or their heroes to other fictional characters. So right. something very artificial has supplanted something that are something very natural, according to our ancestors. Right. And that is something, whether you're talking about mythology or food or uh, accent uh, as yeah. well as vocabulary, all of those things change so radically. And I guess it's it's th- that's true for all of us. I think it's simply the, the erasure is larger the yeah. later that your ancestors came here, unless they just got here 20 years ago or something. Sure. Because the the small amount of time that you were in America and preserving the food and the language and whatever you were doing that's gone and the memory of it is still smaller. Whereas if you have colonial populations, generally they were speaking English with the exception of the Pennsylvania Dutch, really Uh, they're speaking English. So that survives. They're often isolated. And that's why Appalachia is kind of useful. Even if you have no ancestral connection there, 
because of its relative isolation and poverty, it preserves certain things, which are going to be present in any people group, but just stick around longer because no one sees any use in taking it away. <laughs> right. Well, and, I mean, it goes up. I mean, it exists in Appalachia well into our lifetimes. I mean, yeah. we, you and I are growing up still seeing some of this, if not outright practiced, at least talked about and remembered in oh, very yeah. recent memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, keep in mind that this wasn't in our lifetime, but Appalachia kept old Christmas much longer than any other part of America. Yeah. And so that's something for the listener to go Wikipedia real quick as we're talking. But yeah, um, yeah go to old Christmas. It's not it's not for like <laughs> Russian Orthodox or anything. This is a go, certain go stubbornness, a stubbornness about Julian uh, versus Gregorian calendars that you wouldn't yeah. believe it was possible for people to hold on to. <laughs> Imagine not believing the Scots-Irish could be that. <laughs> See, if, if the only reformed guys you know are like uh, Mark Driscoll types or something, yeah. you'll never understand. You'll never understand. You think Lutherans are stubborn. Wait do you meet a real Presbyterian. Uh, so, yeah, well, all right. Well, let's start talking a little bit then. Uh, we've discussed why Appalachia, why the importance of tradition. Let's let's go into this this idea of folk magic then and that worldview. How would the worldview of an Appalachian American in, let's say, the early 1700s differ from the worldview of someone in, a, say, a city today? or even a small town in America today. Yeah, I think the basic reality of life is that it's not under your control. And when you think about things that get called folk magic, it's probably easier if you to understand what they what they're supposed to achieve. If you think about them the same way you think about a combination of what your mechanic does for you and your doctor and the pharmaceuticals that you consume and all those other and air conditioning and all those other things that mitigate discomfort, trouble, disease, disease, everything like that. Folk magic is an attempt to control things otherwise uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that the term magic is problematic here? I think magic is misleading here yeah. in that it makes people before a certain time in history seem alien and stupid simultaneously. Sure. And if not, uh, somehow wicked. Wicked, yeah. yeah. As it as if they are trying to practice something that, that they would call witchcraft. Right. Now, there there is uh, actual folk witchcraft, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Correct. But I think what, what makes for an interesting discussion is, and as we get into the particular folk ways, this might become more more interesting and a little bit more nuanced, but are all traditional folk methods, like let's say that use herbalism, right? Mm -hmm. Or use even certain words to draw out fire, right? Or to draw out when somebody's burned. Yeah. Okay. Where's the line between deviant magical practice and legitimate medical pursuit? Mm -hmm. And that's the tricky part simply because we've loaded it with this term magic. Yeah. And it gets called magic rather than for instance, ethnobotany or traditional blank medicine, which are terms that you get basically for non-white cultures. When you have <laughs> right. when yeah. you have a when you have a people group that is, you know, white, European, whatever, their 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 ways have changed so drastically, generally speaking, it's going to get categorized as at least strange, if not perhaps sinister, odd or just stupid, naive, uh, placebos right. at best. 
So if this were, you know, Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine, you know, white people living in Portland, Oregon would study it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm not, I mean, yeah, it's funny, it's, it's, but I mean, I'm not, right. I'm not being facetious. They no, would. It's, abs- it's they absolutely do. that. Yeah. Um, well, because um, it, it, it's, it's easy to make fun of the hillbilly. It's the last accepted right. stereotype. Yeah. Right. Uh, when we have to assume some illumined noble savage out there. Right. And, but, and, Okay, I'm not I, I'm not uh, qualified to com- uh, to comment on the traditional healing of other places, but if we if they can find any kind of validity in them, why not in yeah. the traditions of their own countrymen, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so maybe it's a bit of an attempt to rescue our people from slander when it comes to some of this, right? And right. and to also say, you know, is there any wisdom here? There are certainly cautions, but is there any wisdom here? Is there such a thing as lost knowledge and lost wisdom? And that's something that applies not only to folk healing, but it would apply to history and science, which would be related to this. Right. A fascinating subject, really. You know, what what have we lost? And the reality that we perceive, you know, how, how do we know what's right, what's real? Yeah. And even when we find good Bible believing people, uh, they too have often been lulled into kind of a modernistic view of, history and anthropology and other sciences. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, very anecdotally, what we have lost is a sense that older people that I have spent time with have that all the different plants in the woods are for something. They're, they're for something bad or they're for something good, or they're good in these cases, but in these other cases, they're, you know, for children and dogs, they're bad, but for old folks, this is a good thing for this ailment. So there's a, there, there is a sense of the world that, that we have lost that certainly in its time and place, even if you don't want to say, okay, what actually is, you know, evidence-based scientific medicine, what is it good at and what is it bad at? That's kind of a, it's a related, but it's a distinct question. We have definitely lost a sense of the world as a place that God has provided that we should use also for healing, right? As mm-hmm. distinct from, say, like a strictly pharmaceutical, laboratory-based, driven yeah, and produced all, process. All, yeah, all pharmacia all the time. Right. Yeah, and, you know, people people understand, okay, somebody says, don't touch this plant, that's poison ivy. Yeah, right. And they're, they're cool with that. But if they said, oh, you've, you have a cold coming on, here's yellow root. They're going to go, I, I got NyQuil at home. Yeah, are you a hippie or what's wrong with <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, what's wrong with you? And, and like many good things, the hippie, you know, like it's guilt by association. So right, the hippies, yeah. the hippies might have taken something good and then destroyed it. Now, what we're not saying, we're not going like full Joe Rogan and being like the monkey ate a mushroom and that's how people got here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm full Joe Rogan on, you know, the effective vaccines in young men, but yeah, right. Right. yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and we, we, we love Joe. Okay. Yeah, we do. Um, anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's a question of, you know, there's this, there's this line between the spiritual, the medicinal, and we're quick to shut it down and go, okay, this is all demonic or, or this is all superstition. Yeah. And, right. and so somewhere, you know, in between there. So, in a little bit, we're going to talk about, uh, we're just going to kind of have fun talking about German and Scots-Irish kind of superstitions and healings and stuff. And that'll give a that'll give you a better understanding of what we're talking about here. 
most of our listeners, it's kind of hard to say because the audience is getting so broad, but we probably have a lot of Germanic listeners <laughs> and we've got some, some Scotsmen out there and some English. And uh, I know for a fact, we've got at least one Italian. And so they're <laughs> all you. going to be coming with, <laughs> they're all going to be coming. Uh, listen, we can get into that history too. Of course sometime. I know him. He's me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's going to be interesting because what we're going to delve into are things that when your grandfather or great grandfather had a had a boil, what would he do? Yeah. When, when even when something like the cows were weren't were having issues, what would you do with them? You already mentioned it kind of extended to dogs, so it would extend to animals. Um, this extends to how do you drill a well? Yeah, yeah. I mean how how do you how do you drill a well, for example? Yeah. Um, well, first you got to find water. Yeah. And how do you find water? Well, you get a water witch. There's another problematic word because they don't mean a witch. They mean a guy who can take uh, either typically a forked stick right. or uh, it can sometimes be bent metal rods, but historically uh, the branch of a certain type of tree. If I say a specific one, somebody will tell me their grandfather used a different one and uh, they will be able to use it to basically the stick will point to where water is under the ground and you will dig there. Right. That was the way that wells were dug <laughs> that forever. Is yes. I mean, even back into ancient times, but we know better now. Now I'm not saying that ground penetrating radar isn't better, <laughs> but there are still water companies that use dowsing rods. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, the dowser is the, is the historically less inflammatory term. Yeah. That's right. The, that's the active. And they would use dowsing rods. The uh, more heated term would be divining rod. So you, you have all of this, you got a witch, you got divining. Well, we don't like these words. Right. <laughs> you know, right. And, and the thing is, it's a fair question. Is this man practicing something diabolical or were these people simply um, exploiting in a good way, a natural thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think both in the case of healing and also in the case of dowsing, he's not illegitimately trying to search out the future, right? Right. He's He's just using the means that he has to find water. Yeah. Everyone always did this at work. So this is what we're doing. Yeah. Some people are better at it than others. Right. So you go get the guy who knows how to do it and they wouldn't keep paying the guy if he wasn't right a lot of the time. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. No question. And so I think that you're looking at societies where most people's knowledge of how to go about daily life is constructed by tradition versus people like ourselves whose daily lives are conditioned way more by media or job training or an educational system. And so, you know, we think we know better, but, you know, did the listener know ground penetrating radar? Did the listener know how to find water? Well, I Is mean, that... what's more what's more moral, a birch branch or uh, a radar system made by Chinese slaves across <laughs> the world that, that's now sitting in a cargo ship somewhere off the coast of Los Angeles? Right. I mean, we know which one you can still find. <laughs> right. You know, it's a fair question. Anons out there. Uh, it's a fair question. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun discussion. It might be a bit foreign uh, to you. And uh, don't worry, <laughs> yeah. we have at least two episodes condemning witches in the word fitly canon. So you know exactly where we stand on witches, and we're going to talk about them a little more. Uh, we're going to talk about some negative uh, folklore a little bit later on. But we're at our first break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken after this.
everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Coons talking about American magic, American folklore. I'll, I'll think of a pithy title for this by the time we're done. We had one and I forgot it, but American haints and folklore. Yeah, so, haints and such. Haints and such. <laughs> we're going to talk about haint, and I'll try not to go off on a tangent uh, when it comes to that word. Adam, try to keep me in check. So, all right, so we've introduced it, and now let's talk a little bit then about witchcraft proper because people are going to be wondering what are the what are these guys talking about yeah yeah because when you're talking about what you know satanic arts or whatever it was called in 1943 you're dealing with illegitimate use of things potentially actually accessible to human beings right so a stance of incredulity like oh that's not real is right. not actually a Christian stance. And we did talk about that when we handled witchcraft at, at greater length. You don't have to say that this isn't real. You have to say that certain things are illegitimate, um, mm-hmm. unbelieving, ungodly, right? And that would generally have to do with trying to control human beings to evil purposes, uh, such as the evil eye, which Jesus references, especially yep. in Mark's gospel. The evil eye, also fortune-telling, the summoning of the dead. Yep. And so when you're looking summoning at of spirits too, summoning of spirits. And so when you're looking at these folk ways, I think you're looking at Christian peoples trying to distinguish between what is legitimate usage of God's creation and what is illegitimate. They're not, especially before the enlightenment, they're not saying, Oh, this isn't real or this doesn't exist or this is yeah. just a superstition. Yeah. And, um, on actual witchcraft, I mean, in all the things you mentioned here, in these folkways that we're talking about in particular, in particular German, Scottish, for the most part, all of those things are condemned. Mm-hmm. Beca- and the people who practice them are condemned. Right. Now, there's a little bit of mixing here with some of the rituals, as we might get into when we talk about some specific stuff. But uh, conjuring, always forbidden. Uh, reading certain, there are certain books that were considered verboten that you shouldn't right. read yeah those are usually now called grimoires but that's not right. really the term you so if you're looking into this stuff that might not yeah. be what it's called you, they'll, they'll call it something like a black bible yeah right a, a lot of times you'll see reference to a black bible or the devil's bible right probably something more like lesser key of solomon mm-hmm. you know or one of the keys of solomon one of those things yeah and it's a spell book that that is something that if you're getting into the dark arts you would seek out. Those things were around. Esoteric books have been around. The Masons are around. So you're going to run into that. This is not what we're talking about with typical folk healing. Sometimes people would mix the two, but in a society as Christianized as say Appalachian America, if there's explicit, like trying to sell your soul to the devil or trying to raise the dead or trying to even, even so far as these kind of, what we would consider parlor tricks now, like making tables float mm-hmm. or making your hat stick on a wall. Those sorts of things were seen as 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 uh, malevolent. Those were not seen right. as good things. Right. And so the people would make a difference between a medicine guy and a witch. A witch had a rather specific yeah. term. Yeah. Or a specific meaning in most yeah. cases. Right. Yeah. Because and and this is this is a distinction that also exists in English between a healer and right. a, a, a cunning man. And that that distinction between this is someone who knows things that most people don't know, 
about how to take care of things that most people don't know how to take care of, especially extreme illness, especially uh, in both people and animals. There's always a distinction made in any culture with which I'm familiar between that guy and then the witch, where yeah. the witch is seeking control and power and, and evil. And, and especially the witch is someone who treats with, if the listeners are familiar with that verb, treats with the dead and with spirits. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's always an element of necromancy involved, right. uh, sometimes involve, even involving parts of corpses, for example. Um, it's kind of like when you look at possession in the New Testament, you see this pattern of uh, obsession with death and self-harm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That goes hand in hand even with witchcraft at the time that we're talking. Right. So that if you look at New England magic, for example, uh, bad ma black magic, there is it's almost always having something to do with someone dead or something dead. It begins right. there that yeah. you, you need that for the ritual to happen. Right. And so there, there you, wherever there is this kind of death, you have something evil happening. Right. Yeah. And new England is a really good example because obviously pre enlightenment society. So the clergymen who are prosecuting witches, for example, are themselves people who engage in, what would now be thought of as herbal medicine accompanied by prayer yep. in order yep. to heal people. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, you don't have to use the word magic for that. And they certainly didn't think that they were practicing no. witchcraft. And, and see, and that's one of the yeah. things that of everything we're talking about here, that's what they all have in common. That's why we keep saying it. It has a Christian center to it because it is prayer is almost in every case tied with this. They're not going to put a poultice on, without a prayer. Now they do often have written prayers, which Lutherans really don't need to get too upset about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, because, you know, some, you know, nowadays it's popular to be, to be like, well, you know, uh, written prayers are bad, but written prayers aren't bad. And they're commonly used even in healing. We have prayers for healing yeah, that we use yeah. and anointing. Right. So it's, it's really rather closely related to that. And actually in some of these, these books, They'll actually mention James when it. They'll, they'll use the passage from James about right. uh, anointing with oil and prayer. Uh, so yeah, they're all they're always words, and this is where in anthropological studies it gets classified as magic in part because there are certain words that need to be said, and right. so they see that as yeah. a spell. But okay, in some cases that's probably a fair critique, but you can't push that too far. You can't push words and certain elements and make everything a spell. Because what do you do with baptism then? <laughs> you know, and we certainly wouldn't call that a spell. Right. Yeah. And, and from the inside, the fact that the people who live inside these cultures always have verbal distinctions for these activities yes. and see them as distinct people. Well, and, and, you know, they're just simply wanting to say the right words. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's think of it as a, as something like an oral medical text, because a lot of it's passed down that way. You know, I think you can look at it that way without condemning these people as sorcerers. No, I mean, I think really we're we're talking essentially about traditional medicine, if you want to put it that way. Right. But it's medicine, you know, not kept inside a hospital and subject to the pharmaceutical industry. It's medicine in a very heavily Christianized culture without professional healers of any particular kind. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think it was effective? 
I think that the I think that if it were wildly ineffective, I do not believe that entire people groups are yeah. all so dull that they would just keep doing it over and over and over and over yeah. again. Especially not from the cultures and societies they're coming from. Yeah. They, yeah. They could, they're able to think better. Right. Yeah, they're they're bright people. They're able to settle the country and figure out how to make a living. I think they could understand if something was completely useless. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, do you want to now talk a little bit about some of the folkways then? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that'll give you kind of a specific example of like just to start with the Pennsylvania Germans, partly because their their folkways are in some ways the most the best preserved because they were locked away in right. sort of a separate culture for so long. And to this day, I mean, this is what I was familiar with growing up, that there are there are witches called Hexe in German, and those are bad people. They're often associated in the way that people talk about them and also in stories passed down through generations with, you know, just to be blunt, child abuse. Sure. Child abuse and murder. Those are the stories that always accompany witches, and they themselves are often involved, if not assisting in such yeah. things. So people don't, that's also a connection of what we see as, as crimes. I mean, hideous crimes, yeah. but even that is put within this context of there are malevolent people who live on this earth yeah. and because of demonic inspiration, they want to do the things that they do. Yeah. It's not just a crime and it's not just a psychological problem in the criminal. So there's those people, Hexe. And then on the other hand, there are Braucher and this is still practiced. People went to this, I don't know, growing up. And that is a tradition that is usually called in English powwowing. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows why, but it's called in German Braucherei. And a Braucher is literally in German a kneader, someone who needs things. And that is the, the basic distinction, the way that people talk about it is the, the hex wants to do things and control things and therefore commands. The yeah. Braucher is always asking because Braucherei centers on prayer. It really, if it were run by, let's say, Pentecostals instead of at this point, Amish people, it would be thought of as faith healing. Sure. It's more tactile than faith healing. So, and it's pretty ritualistic. The prayers are all written out. They're specific to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And there may be, for certain things, the the Brauker will put, it It's a, it could be a man or a woman. A man must train a woman and a woman must train a man. I don't, I don't know why that is, but for, yeah, no, that, I don't. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know why that is, but like the Brauker will put his hand on your cheek if you have a, like a, a chest, like cold of some kind and blow into your mouth and invoke the holy the the holy trinity as he does so to heal you and cause this evil wind to go out of your chest you know so it, it's it's fairly ritualistic or if the child has and this is something very common if you learn if you look at medical anthropology is that different cultures will identify sicknesses in different ways so there's something that the Dutch call the takeoff, which is 
if I could describe, it's kind of like just generally feeling horrible. And if you have that and you're a child, the Broker will pass you through the legs of a four-legged table. And there's prayers accompanying that. And that's supposed to take this feeling or this disease or heaviness from you. So it's it's very ritualistic. I mean, it, it resembles, if you are a pastor, you're familiar with doing stuff like this because you do some combination of using words and touching people's bodies, whether right. baptizing them or anointing them or, or communing them or whatever the case might be. So it's, it's sacramental, if I can say it that way, adjectivally, in how it combines touch and, and um, elements, and elements. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With words. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to find a lot of, uh, I'm going to say somewhat commonality. I mean, I guess it's, I guess I have to tag in on the Scots, don't I? Yeah. But, I think, I think you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and of course that folkway is coming in speaking mostly English. I mean, Gaelic doesn't, you know, I mean, okay, somebody's going to correct me and find one or two words, but yeah, I mean, it's not even real though. Let's be honest. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's LARP, <laughs> but so th- they're going to come over. So the, the vocabulary is going to be familiar. So we don't have the nice Dutch words, but uh, I mean, you know, which the problem is, is like we've been talking about, it comes into English because which is, which is almost exclusively negative until the modern world. And now I see terms like granny, witch and granny magic, and it's just cringe. Um, but I will say, they like in my grandfather's case, um, you know, here's probably a Scottish influence. He actually never said witch so much. When he meant witch, he would they were called hags. So hag would specifically refer to the ladies who practice witchcraft. They would be hags. Or I mean a witch hag, if you want to go fancy with it. But if he's talking about a hag, and he would be like, Yeah, the these two sisters who lived up the holler, you know, when I was a kid, they were hags and they had all these and he would just sort of explain, and you knew, and you understood that a hag was what we would call a witch today. And you didn't want to go by the witch house. You would get terms like witch, witcher woman, which might be more common to certain people, uh, but they never referred to the folk healers as witches. Um, it, 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 right. Very similar to what you're saying. It was always right. a healer, or honestly, they were often called doctors. Uh-huh. And so. It would just be, okay, you go into Doc Lewis, who's the doctor doctor that we would think of, or am I going to the other doctor, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, my grandmother saw a, uh, a folk healer in addition to her regular doctors up pretty much till the day she died. Yeah. And and her, her daughters would always tease her, oh, you know, mommy's going to the witch doctor again. But, you know, she she did it. Uh, my Aunt Lodina and my Uncle Don, they all went to it. Um, yeah. And, you know, poor... You know, Grandma Rayburn, uh, you know, she it obviously didn't work because she only lived to her 90s. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was it, the two when I'm a kid always exist together. And it was, I mean, even like when it comes to something like the Almanac, which is closely related to all of this. Well, let's bring it home for the Missouri Synod Lutherans here in a second, because there's a little tidbit about Almanacs. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, but they didn't, it's not like when aspirin came out, they weren't going to try aspirin, but they really believed in these ways. And my, right. my grandmother, you know, I can remember stories that, I mean, they scared me as a kid and they kind of scare me as a day. Uh, you know, she would tell stories about people who, who did find the black Bibles and who did learn this stuff mm-hmm. and just haunting stories. And maybe she's just telling them to me so that I wouldn't get into bad stuff. 
Right. But she's also telling them to me as stories that were true. These are people right. that I knew who went down this path and this is what happened to them. So, and, and Mamma would always basically say, stay away from uh, witchcraft, devil worshipers and Catholics. And, but she repeats herself. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think there are certain things that are still, you know, we have commended bears almanac on this, on this program, official sponsor of word fitly spoken. Um, <laughs> Please send a check to <laughs> <laughs> bears. Almanac has an extensive defense of planting by the signs in there, which is why the signs of the Zodiac in connection with the movements of the sun and the moon are important in every almanac that you'll ever find. And this was common throughout America. Something that the listeners should know is that there was an almanac published by the Missouri Synod called the Lutheran calendar, which had the same signs in it yep. because this is how your ancestors thought we should plant if I plant when the moon, if I plant something that's supposed to grow up when the moon is going down, when it's waning, you know, that's my own fault. <laughs> right. So right. these, so hey, these you planted your potatoes yeah. before Good Friday. That's right. What's the matter with you? Yeah. Yeah. So these kinds of connections, let's say, between nature and nature's signs and the well being of man and beast are things that were uncontroversial, which is why there were. They so easily distinguished, I think, between witchcraft proper and these other now seemingly mystical practices. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we've come a long way from publishing uh, almanac calendars in the Missouri Synod to, uh, I don't know, devotionals by football players and books about cupcakes. We have to go back. <laughs> we must go back. We must go back. Yeah, so, and we understand that a lot of what you're hearing here is new. It's very old, but it's very new to a lot of people. And so we're taking this really long way around to explain that uh, we, we still we still believe that the Salem witch trials were based and the, <laughs> and, the, and uh, another great German product, the Malleus Maleficarum, has a lot of good things to offer. Don't get us wrong here, but, you know, people just tend to, uh, it is kind of funny, you know, it's, it's like they, they forget about our Missouri Synod Fathers existing in a certain period of history. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they think that they were, you know, basically just interested in keeping the liturgy. Yeah. Modern like academics and liturgical historians right. or something like that. Right. Right. Precisely. And these are these are guys who especially the guys that are, you know, out, you know, riding around running into barbed wire fences like Ray Winkle are uh, living with people who themselves believe that planting by the signs is the way to plant. So, you know, this is just kind of normal stuff. And the existence of, for instance, the, you know, protecting angel as a, a very large right. man guarding Ray Winkle's father was uncontroversial to everyone, both the people that saw the large man and to Ray Winkle's father. So this lively sense of what is possible in the world and how God works in the world, uh, I think it's just very different from the one that we sort of assumed. Yeah. Well, very good. We've got to take our next break. We'll be right back with Haints and Boogers here on A Word Fitly Spoken.
Welcome back. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Kuntz talking about American folkways. If our listeners have not already turned off so that they can go buy books on herbalism and candle making, now we're going to get to another fun part. We're going to move a little bit away from folk healing and we're going to talk about not quite superstitions, although we could do a whole episode with that. We're going to talk about uh, creatures and uh, monsters and things like that even supernatural creatures. So let's talk about the boogeyman. That's a that's a word that pretty much every culture has their boogeyman, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And I, I think that if you find an abuse of, let's say, folk healing, it's going to be in treating God's name and, and, and the things of God in a way which is very superstitious because it's very frightened. So, yeah. so you're going to use this or that, you know, prayer. It is a prayer to the Holy Trinity, very pious, but it's sort of like, you know, the Catholic uh, soccer player running onto the field and crossing himself or right. burying uh, St. Joseph upside down to sell your house. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, it's that realm of, you know, mistaken uh, piety, superstitious piety. And that's because Every culture is aware of something that is malevolent and and poorly understood or not at all understood and and maybe out there. Yeah. And so like the boogeyman, that's that's something that in its in its proper context is it's a creature you tell kids about to make them behave. Yeah. And right. everybody's got one. You know, boogeyman's kind of a passe term, but an example of it that has become an a rather confusing pop culture phenomenon to me is the Krampus. He's he's a boogeyman. Yeah, he is. Yeah. By another name. Uh and uh I want you to now take this time to defend uh to to correct something. Okay, that the okay. office has destroyed in yeah. your culture. Yeah. Belschnickel. Scary, wholesome. What what's the deal with him? <laughs> uh the Belsch well, uh, okay, let me let me just Which we've talked about him before on, we, on some episode we a, a have, hundred years ago. And I uh, yeah, I just I'll just repeat myself because you know, why not? I I think that this this it, a really good this is a good test case, two stories. Good test case for the same sort of figure being used either by a Christian on the one hand or by a pagan on the other hand. So the pagan anecdote is they have this sort of Christmas on the farm thing at this heritage center that we go to. And uh, the guy that runs that place is playing the Belschnickel. And I know he's a pagan. There are these sort of extremely LARPy people trying to, quote, revive Pennsylvania Dutch paganism, which never existed. <laughs> right, okay. right. Almost everybody was Lutheran or Reformed. It really was that boring. And then there's some Mennonites and Amish. That's it. But okay, so he's trying to do this. So his Belschnickel is legitimately terrifying. Terrifies everybody, not just the kids. I mean, scares them. Kids are screaming. They're trying to get out of the little, you know, 19th century schoolhouse we're all sitting in. Belschnickel, the way he's traditionally supposed to be, was was played, was perceived. We saw it at a different Christmas celebration. And he asked my kids, do they know Bible verses? So my mm -hmm. kids give him some Bible verses. And uh, he gives them some candy and he says, you know, God bless you. Have, have a wonderful Christmas. Because the role of the Belschnickel of these kind of early December characters that this is just the Pennsylvania Dutch version is that they are there to prepare you for the self-exam. They're really kind of a function of the repentant character of Advent 
is what they are. You're getting ready for Christmas. And then in Pennsylvania Dutch culture, at Christmas, the Christ child brings your gifts. And it really doesn't get any better than that. So there's no Santa Claus exactly. There's kind of a Nicholas-looking person that tests you in early December. And then the Christ child brings the gifts. But that's what the Bolshnikel is supposed to be. Yeah, uh, we we don't have an equivalent um, in the Scots Irish because we we didn't have any time for Santa Claus. It was not part of the regulative <laughs> principle, so we didn't even have an analog. Yeah, for where's that. Santa Claus in the Bible, brother? Right. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, 52 holy days uh, in a year. <laughs> That's what you get. So the, don't have a lot of that. Um, but we have plenty of other stuff uh, outside of that, and uh, you know, one of them is uh, you know we're going to call it a boogeyman, but all manner of things that in, in the woods that can get you. Yeah, right. So you don't dare go out. And then that brings us uh, then to the word that we've used several times here, a haint. What's a haint, Adam? Well, it's not exactly a ghost. I mean, it could be kind of like a ghost, but it's it's coming after you. You can probably yeah. hear that it's etymologically related to haunt. And yeah. you should think more of the verb than anything. Yeah. So, yeah, it could be a ghost could be a spirit but like yeah that's a good way of putting it something coming after you um yeah and and it's sort of passed down into a, a folksy way to say ghost but no it could be a malevolent spirit it could be like a, it's kind of like a poltergeist right i mean that yeah. is literally noise right. of ghost right. but that could also be a spirit too right yeah uh you, if you google haint i'll just this is how i'll leave this this is how i'll handle this if you google haint you will see an egregious case of historical revisionism <laughs> concerning a very English word that goes way back in Appalachian culture. You know, Adams and mine both would have this word. So you'll know what it is when you Google it. Just know that it's it's one of those things that they're probably trying to reinterpret it for a certain reason. And I, I do want to point out in both Pennsylvania Dutch and in as we go through talking about these things, remember how culturally isolated these things are. And they come from one continent. They're both coming from Europe. How isolated they are. So that when people try to tell you that these certain folkways inexplicably come from a certain other continent, and nobody's really said that until modern historiography happened. Right. Somewhere, uh, just, somewhere hotter, vaguely to somewhere the Somewhere hotter, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Uh, that it's, it's just malarkey is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just plain malarkey. That's right. Just, <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah don't don't believe uh don't believe that uh, get get your american folkways stuff uh, here you know uh because it's pure chicanery is what it is and i'm tired of it i'm tired of this thing uh, an appalachian man can't have nothing they take it from you <laughs> they take everything did you even invent nascar <laughs> right oh don't no, don't give them ideas this is a dale earnhardt respecting podcast and a moonshiner respecting podcast yeah too. see i thought nascar was invented by slaves uh driving driving their dodge chargers on the way to freedom in canada that's what i true. heard this i don't is, know i mean this is i i saw it um on the splc database so it has to be true <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's right that's right it's uh yeah uh you know <laughs> Scottish uh, folk singing was invented by inner city youths in LA in the 1980s. A lot of people are not aware <laughs> of that. Pretty one. Cool. It's pretty cool. I like that. Very true. Yeah, you know. Well, we're, we're effectively canceled now, so it's been fun. <laughs> this has been a word fitly spoken. <laughs> but no, like, it it is true. This is part of the reason we like to talk about this is because almost everything that you do a cursory research through a common search engine today is 
I, I want to say whitewashed, but it's kind of the opposite of the yeah, term. kind of the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah, the opposite. That, yeah, that's why I've switched uh, exclusively to yandexing or quanting things. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the Europeans are doing a little less of this than a little we're better. Doing. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Well, they're just they're just a little slower. They are. They'll get they'll get there. But okay, uh, if we can agree that not everything comes from hoodoo, and it don't, then we can further our discussion here. Um, I'll give them zombies. I'll give them zombies, but yeah. uh, Pittsburgh's uh, own boy really made zombies entirely different. So that That's when you think right. zombies, you don't think of certain other things. Anyway, um, so talk about let's talk about haints. Let's talk about ghosts. Let's talk about spirits a little bit. I, I think this is a recognition of something that if you look at like our our church body, this is I mean we kind of just realized again recently that there were demons. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not. No, 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 you're absolutely right. You know, we fought really hard to say that some of us said charismatic gifts don't exist at all. Most of us said, and officially, officially we said, probably more biblically speaking, these are not normative or necessary for Christian life. But the idea that there are demons, I think we're coming back into contact with because of the increasing pagan nature of many people's lives, which is really for most people in modern America mediated by pop culture, not, not by folklore, you know, so the, the folks that are trying to LARP into existence, Pennsylvania Dutch paganism are combining some knowledge of certain mythology detached from its Christian setting with their love of horror movies or their love of witches or zombies or whatever the case Mm -hmm. might be. And so our church has to take cognizance of that because people are into some weird stuff. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we forgot along the way things that I think would have been common knowledge a uh, hundred years ago, which is that there are lots of things out there in the world that are malevolent, that are demonic, that we don't understand. Yeah. And we used to know how to deal with it. And now we don't lost uh lost knowledge there yeah i i mean i think one of the pieces of lost knowledge is that as there are blessed places full of light and peace there are accursed places full of darkness so mm-hmm. when i made mention of you know hexes being associated with child abuse earlier i mean i was thinking as i was saying that of a specific shed where horrible things occurred to boys by a certain man over a number of years and no one not even kids who had been drinking for hours prior to being near there would go near that shed anymore no one was pulling it down people didn't even want to look at it it was just rotting into the ground we had a uh, uh like a similar case and i might have talked about this before i think i have but it was an essentially an abandoned mine that had been desecrated. It was a place where animals were slaughtered uh, ritualistically. Yeah. Uh, where all manner yeah. of, of wicked thing happened. And it was a uh, kind of a test to see how far back in there you would go. Mm-hmm. But even the older guys would were dead serious about like, you don't really need to mess around with this. This is not a good yep. place to yep. be. Yep. And while we might not have used the term like holy play, you know, holy versus unholy, it was right. a bad place. Right. You know, yeah. And I mean, but we, but what we sort of, you know, it's one of these things where it's still sort of there, but we forget like, why do we have house blessings? 
Right. Yep. It's for that reason. It's because right. we used to under it's not a it's not just a nice thing you do. It's not a housewarming thing. It's <laughs> it's nice. It is a nice thing to do. And it right. is appropriate for a housewarming, I suppose. But that's not the point of it. Right. It's it's consecrating ground. It's it's asking God to bless a place. Correct. And that's why if you look in the rubrics, it'll actually say after an atrocity has been committed in a place, it's appropriate to do a, a blessing. Right. Yeah. Or a, yeah. A house blessing. Yeah. And I think that sense of place is, is maybe the thing that is most lost, not just the sense that there are malevolent things, but also that, the, that places have their own memory. Um, I don't know how to say this well their own sense of good or evil attached yeah. to them based on what has happened there. Right. Yeah. We slipped into pure esoterica and that's fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, and well, and, and think about this too, if we can put it in, in kind of this context, it's kind of why, like if you walk into a beautiful old church that's actually used for good things, you, you shut up. If you walk into yep. an auditorium, you're loud. I think even kids can sometimes sense this sort of thing, yeah, right? A holy place versus a multi-purpose room. So like these churches that are built looking like, uh, you know, St. Ramada ballroom, right? <laughs> then you can, you pull all the chairs out and now it's a gym and you put the chairs back and oh, it's a church again, that yeah, sort of thing. Right. That hits different than a, than a dedicate, a dedicated piece of holy ground. Right. It does. And, and if people want to accuse us of being superstitious because we're calling certain things holy, well then call me what you want because we consecrate altars and we consecrate land that we put churches on and mm-hmm. we bless the buildings when we dedicate them. We do. Yeah. Um, so that it should not, I mean, that's why I love old church guys who will still yell at kids for running in the, around in the building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Lord's house. You don't run here. <laughs> well, and a, I, I think the example of blessing is such a good example of the church practicing and praying better than it understands. Yes, absolutely. We haven't thought a lot probably in a long time about is there unholy ground and what does it mean that we have holy ground? We're just doing it. And that's, that's good. That's better than not doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so there's another reason for preserving the folkways because, uh, frankly, using the historic liturgical books that we have and the historic rites that we do is a way of preserving a folkway. And, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's yep. and it's a broader folkway, but right. it's a, it's it's a Christian, it's the Christian folkway, right? And that's not a bad thing. This is because it if a folkway is just tradition handed down, well, what are the rights of the church? And right. so sometimes we do them and forget even why we're doing them. I mean, you could you could say that about anything. Why do we have a birthday cake? Why do you wear a white wedding dress? Uh, there are <laughs> yeah, lots of reasons. Why don't you stop? What are your reasons? You don't have reasons? Stop. Yeah, you yeah. don't have reasons? Quit doing that. What are you wearing <laughs> right. that pointy hat for? It's your birthday? Why do you celebrate a birthday? What's that matter? It's it's just the revolution of the sun. And right. what we're saying is this is an anti-Neil deGrasse Tyson podcast. Yeah, this is an anti-Magic uh, Science Man. This is an anti-Reddit <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, Carl Sagan... And his like his consequences have been disastrous. <laughs> <They have. laughs> so yeah, um, <clears throat> so yeah, absolutely. So so to go kind of back uh, to the beginning of this, all that we've been talking about and all the weird stuff we've been preserving. Plot twist: you've been doing it all along. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. CFW Walther was planting by the signs, and you're still doing house blessings. Checkmate. So, yeah. So, what does that make you? <laughs> Out of step with the world. And guess what? That's where you want to be. Yeah, for sure.
Do you really want to be in step with this world which is passing away? I don't. I want to be in step with the world that God ordered, the God who hung the stars in the sky and who caused everything to move the way it does. That's what I want to be in step with. What's what's better, Christian man? I think that a sense also of the protection of angels and the evil of demons and the, the lurking of demons is such a better way to think about traveling in a dark place at night mm-hmm. um, is such a better way of thinking about being in certain potentially evil company yeah. than well, to th- think of yourself yeah. as like self-sufficient or it doesn't matter or you've got it figured out, which is so unreal if you've ever dealt with a large problem, it is above your head. It is above your head. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's something that you can't comprehend sometimes. Sometimes that dread is not just psychology, right? It's actually your body knowing what's actually out there. <laughs> right. uh, we've used this story multiple times in the podcast before, but when the way Luther talks about demons, yeah. well, we know that there's a certain place where a demon lives at a lake and we know that demons like to live by water. <laughs> And I'm assuming he gets that because Jesus does say they go by waterless places and come back. I would that's probably the proof text for this. But but yeah, I mean Luther just says it so matter of fact. They, so don't go there, you know. There's a demon. He lays hangs out at this lake. Why? But everybody knows that's the lake he hangs out at. Why would you know? Yeah, what's wrong with you? What's, what's wrong with you? Yeah. It's like kids going to Crystal Lake when you know Jason's gonna show up. Yeah. You just what are you, you know, stupid? Oh, what are you yeah. stupid? We always yell at the slasher movie. Why would you go here? Did you not see what happened to the last group of teenagers? This was originally going to be an episode where we talked about horror movies, by the way. We right. decided to go with this. So, yeah, but Luther, Luther's world is just so different and he can just say it. I mean, and to me, that's a, it's much more fa- interesting to be like, yeah, there's a lake where a demon lives and Luther talking about that than the Inkwell story. Uh, right. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, what's what's going on inside your your room there, bud? You know. Yeah, and that and that was a perfectly good inkwell. Hope you're okay. Yeah, you all right, bro? <laughs> Are you hydrated? Did you have you eaten today? Yeah, you need to slunk some eggs or something. But are you um, sure you didn't just chuck that at Philip Melanchthon? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, little did we know that demon was just code word for Melanchthon most days of the week. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so um, you're reading theologians. And 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 you're and you're performing rites in the church that belong to men that held a completely different view of the world than you do, and you would sit here and say, "Oh well, we know better than them," but why are you still doing these other things? Right. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Now we're not going to say rub dirt in a wound, but you know what? Leeches worked. They were right about that, and we had to revive those. So, I guess really. We're doing what we always do and advocating for something like a pre-modern <laughs> view and and to just say, don't write off um, everything. You know, it's like in the Bible when the angel went and stirred the pool of Bethesda because this is a Byzantine text podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. The this an- is the, res- all, all respect for the Byzantine text. The angel comes and stirs the water. That's a perfectly biblical thing. The, there's a, there is a specific place where an angel comes, if you believe that that text is the, in the Bible, and... Stirs the water. This is a place of healing, localized by this yeah. angel. The angel is serving mankind as he was yeah. meant to do. And even if you don't want to go with variant texts, we have the principalities in Scripture, mm-hmm. which are localized spirits. I don't. And I'm going to say in control, but we'll say sort of over certain territories. Yeah. And so, so it's actually not that 
foregone to say, yeah, this could be the lake where this where this spirit hangs out, this malevolent, this demon hangs out at. Yeah. And I hate to view the spiritual world as kind of a bureaucracy where one guy is over all of Assyria and another guy gets like a subdivision in Tucson. <laughs> but hey, maybe but, it is that way. Yeah, those people need some help too, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway, any final words for the people before we sign off for today? Yeah, I think that all, all we're saying is that you need to consider whether you are in fact living in the dark ages and your forefathers were living in a in an age of greater light and greater peace because of greater knowledge of the world that God had made and how he had ordered it and what evil forces sought to destroy that world and to destroy them and how the angels were protecting them what St. Michael and his and his legions were doing for for you and for the church and I think that your forefathers understood that in a very lively sense so you would do well to heed both their faith and also their ways. Absolutely. Uh, very well said. Well, we got a weird one in. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Adam, thanks for... Uh, thanks for <laughs> it was my absolute pleasure. Thanks for be, being a part of that. Uh, this episode, of course, uh, dedicated to Art Bell. It is that time of the year, so uh, we hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Koontz. God love you and God bless. The Lord bless the beginning and end of this little work and be with us, that we may not misuse it and thus commit a heavy sin. The word misuse means as much to use it for anything unnecessary. God bless us. Amen. The word amen means as much as that the Lord might bring to pass in reality would have been asked for in prayer. Homan.